If you will, turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be following along uh, with Luke in chapter 23, and we will begin in verse 13. The final week of Jesus' ministry begins with that triumphal entry in the hosannas and the hallelujahs were being declared, but ultimately by the end of the week, there is going to have the chants from the crowds asking that Jesus be crucified. And we see that throughout this week, the confrontation with the religious leaders. We see the Last Supper where Jesus comes and, and the disciples are arguing with one another. There is the foot washing that Jesus gives. There is the announcement of the betrayal. There is the, the announcement of that Peter is going to deny him. And, and we see the the, the discourse that Jesus gives, the new covenant that was established there with that cup, they head over to, to Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. And, and there in the Mount of Olives, Jesus tells them that all are going to be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter, once again, even if all are made to stumble, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus again affirms that before the night is over, before the rooster crows, that you will deny me three times. And Jesus comes to that place in Gethsemane, to the garden. He tells them to sit here while I go and pray and he takes Peter and James and John with him and he becomes deeply distressed my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death stay here and watch with me and he goes a little farther and he falls on his face oh my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me and nevertheless not as I will but as you will Jesus is about to be arrested, turned over to the religious leaders. They, in turn, will turn him over to the Romans. He will be scourged and he will be crucified on Golgotha, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But as that time had now come when Jesus would take the sins of humanity upon himself. We see that his flesh is recoiling from, from the crucifixion, from his body being broken. He had just <clears throat> celebrated the Lord's table. He had just taken the loaf of bread and broken it and said, this is my body which will be given up for you. He fully knew what he was doing, but as the time came now for it to actually unfold, we, we see him now earnestly praying before the Father. If it's possible, let, 
let this cup pass from me. He comes back, his disciples are sleeping and he rouses them. Could you not wait with me one hour? And again, a second time he goes and, and he prays, oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me until I, I drink it, your will be done. And again, we, we see him in angst. We see him in great turmoil. And a third time, he prays the same words. He came to the disciples and they were sleeping and resting. And he says, are you still sleeping and resting? And behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We see that Judas comes and leads the band of soldiers that are going to arrest Jesus. And <clears throat> and you remember that Judas's act of betrayal is done with a kiss. Jesus is arrested and he is taken to the house of Annas. Annas is the father-in-law of the high priest and he was really the one that was the power broker behind. He had been the high priest. He was deposed by the Romans, but again, a high priest held that office for life, and various other high priests were appointed, but Annas was, he was still recognized as, as the official power broker of the office. He comes and and Annas is interested in the political influence of Jesus, the number of his followers, and, and these types of things. And, and after Annas is finished, we see that he is passed over then to Caiaphas, who was the, the high priest the Romans had appointed. And during the trial, we see that Peter is in the courtyard, and and we see that he denies the Lord three times. Finally, the chief priests and the elders move to have Jesus put to death. They have to bring him to Pilate and to formulate a charge against him that will stand in the Roman court. Judas goes out and filled with remorse and grief over what he has done. He hangs himself. And, and Jesus, first thing in the morning, is taken to Pilate. And Pilate and the chief priests have an ongoing battle with one another. And Pilate seeks to escape. He recognizes that that it is envy that is behind their motivation and Pilate wants no part of it. And, and when he hears that Jesus is a Galilean, he, he sends Jesus to Herod. As Herod was the tetrarch over Galilee and, and had authority and, and Herod was in Jerusalem for the feast. And so Jesus is sent to Herod and 
Herod wants to see a miracle. He, he wants to see a display of the power of Jesus and the fame of Jesus. But Jesus will not even speak a word to Herod. And, and so Jesus now is, is sent back to, to Pilate for a second time. And that's where we pick it up here in this 13th verse of the 23rd chapter of, of Luke. It says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, Neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him, and I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him, and I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding, with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one they requested, for who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. You will remember that Pilate calls for a, a bowl of water and then washes his hand saying that he is innocent of, of this man's blood. And, and the Jews cried, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And, and Jesus is let off. He is scourged. Crown of thorns pounded into his in the head. And he begins now his walk to Golgotha. He was to be crucified. The person who was crucified would have four soldiers, one in front, one in back, and one on each side. The one in front would carry the sign that had the charge written for which the person was being crucified. And, and the one who was being crucified would carry the cross beam and take him through the stretch of the city, throughout the city. They would take him by the long way outside of the city for they did not crucify someone inside the city itself. And so they would pick the most public place where the traffic coming in and out of the city was located and so jesus now begins his his walk through the city 
And now as they led him away, they lay hold, verse 26, of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Jesus sees and recognizes the judgment that is coming, how in A.D. 70 the city is going to be surrounded and destroyed and, and they will be mercilessly slaughtered. And Jesus says, don't weep for me, weep, weep for yourselves and, and for your children. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus was laid on the ground, the cross uh, on the ground, and his arms stretched out as they then nailed each of his arms into the cross. The knees were slightly bent, the feet were crossed, and a single spike driven right through the, uh, the two feet into the, the cross itself. And then the cross would be tilted up, hovering over the hole that had been dug for it, and it would drop into place, jarring Jesus. They would secure that cross, and, and there Jesus was now crucified. As they were crucifying him, we see that Jesus is praying for them, interceding. Father, forgive them. Don't, don't hold this sin against them, for they, they do not know what they are doing. They had no comprehension that they were executing the Messiah. They divided his garments and they cast lots. And, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And Jesus is in excruciating pain there on the cross. And, and not only is he suffering this physical pain but now they are mocking him on top of it if you are the king of the jews he is the king of the jews he's not just the king of the jews he's the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is the one that, that created the 
the earth, the heavens, and all that is. And now they are jeering at him and mocking him. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. Save yourself if you are the king of the Jews. Save yourself. And, and an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we see the two thieves on the cross. And we see that there is now the one who mocks in Jesus, who, who says to him, If you are the king of the Jews, Save yourself and, and us. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And, and the other one, we see here, rather than mocking, he says that we are suffering for the deeds that we have done, but he is suffering for nothing that he has done. And then he turns and puts his faith into Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we see that Jesus now assures him. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in, in paradise. And so the first... And two sayings now on the cross as Jesus is crucified. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and speaking now to this thief, assuredly I say to you that you will be with me in paradise. John's gospel tells us that that Jesus sees his mother and the disciple whom he loves standing by. And so Jesus' mother and, and John are there. And he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And so it, he was crucified at nine o'clock in the morning. 
from 9 to 12, we see that Jesus hung on that cross in just absolutely excruciating pain. And at noonday, we see that a, a darkness filled the whole earth. And for three hours, there was darkness over the earth. And so, closing in on that final hour, Mark's gospel says, and and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood by when they heard that said, look, he is calling for Elijah. And then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. We see that Jesus has fully drunk of the cup that the Father has given to him. The, the sins of the world now upon Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the the sins of the world, but here he is with the sin of the world. And he feels that, that ripping, that tearing of intimacy, of fellowship, of communion, of perfect oneness with, with the Father that he has experienced from before time, from eternity past. Perfect intimacy, communion, and fellowship, but sin separates us from God. Holy, righteous, and Father could not have intimate communion with the Son when sin was now upon the Son. And, and there was this pulling away. It was represented now by the darkness that comes over the, the earth. And here is is this feeling now of isolation, how sin isolates us. It, it pushes us uh, into ourselves in a, a way. It affects every attachment that we have. And, and the first attachment that it affects is our attachment with God. Here now, suddenly, Jesus is, is crying out, my God, my God, where are you? I feel so distant from you i feel so separated i feel so lost and and the consequence of sin in our lives now we see that jesus in the fullness of the sin of the world we see the separation from the father john's gospel tells us that that as things now are coming to a close. He has been on the cross for six hours. Six hours of his scourged body hanging on that cross. For every breath he would have to push himself up and 
drag his back across the, the cross itself, lacerated and opened with the scourge now, the blood and the sweat, the roughness of the cross, the pain of the nails in his hands and feet. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Jesus is now in a, a dehydrated state. The scourging, the exhaustion, the fatigue, the loss of blood, Six hours of being on the cross, his tongue would have swollen, he would have experienced just incredible thirst. I thirst. And it says, Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Behold the Lamb of God. You will remember that this is happening during Passover. You will remember that at the first Passover when they were slaves in Egypt, they were told to take a lamb and to, and to slaughter the lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and to put it on the hyssop and, and now to put it over the doorposts of their houses, the blood on the hyssop overarching them that would now cover over them. Here is the, the Lamb of God, His shed blood, and here is the, the hyssop branch that now is, is pointing to the blood of the Lamb, and, and in it we have the Passover picture complete. And then the sun was darkened. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 45. And the veil of the temple was torn in two, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He dismisses his spirit. And so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But... All his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things.
Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with them from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. The other gospel accounts fill in the details. The sun was going and down it was now the hastening as the Sabbath was approaching to have the bodies taken down. And so they came to break the legs. The order had been issued to break the legs of those who were being crucified, the three of them. With broken legs, you wouldn't be able to push yourself up to take a breath and and so you would only be able to pull yourself with your arms up to get a breath and your muscles would cramp and fatigue in your arms and shoulders and before long you would asphyxiate and die. They broke the legs of the others and came to Jesus and found that Jesus had already breathed his last You'll remember that the spear was thrust into his side. And you remember that blood and water pours out. The religious leaders remember that Jesus had told them that he would rise again in three days. They understood it. They understood exactly what Jesus was saying. But they said that so no one can come and take the body and claim that he has risen from the dead. We need to secure it. And, and Pilate tells them, take a guard and go. Secure it the best way that you know how. So the tomb is sealed and guarded. The women head off. They watch. They see where Jesus is buried. But now it is time. Time for them to be home by dusk, by dark. It is the beginning of Sabbath. Friday night to Saturday night is the Sabbath. And so they mark well where he has been laid. And so we see Jesus. He suffered. And he died.
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Crucifixion. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but, but they perfected it. It was designed to be the most painful person, the most painful way a person could die. It was designed to maximize suffering, not to minimize the suffering, but to maximize the suffering of the one being crucified. You think of the other methods of executing a criminal. Lethal injection. Or the electric chair. Or the gas chamber. What is the quickest, most humane way to execute a criminal? But you think of all of the other ways that that we execute criminals and throughout the history of mankind there has been the firing squad and, and the hanging and beheaded. But in all of these, none of them compare to the desire to execute in such a painful way. Not seeking to minimize the suffering, but to maximize the suffering. Jesus didn't just die. He could have been beheaded. He could have died in, in any fashion whatsoever. He could have been stoned. He, he, but here is the Roman crucifixion where you will be nailed alive onto a tree and suffer while your life bleeds out in the most excruciating pain possible. Why crucifixion? Isn't it enough that he takes the sins of the world upon himself and then dies, but six Hours of suffering, the scourging, the beating, the carrying of the cross. He, he suffered in, in every way possible. He, he suffered physically and spiritually and emotionally. Mocked, deserted. He suffered physically from the pain of the crucifixion itself and, and spiritually when when the intimacy and the fellowship and the communion with the Father were, were torn asunder. The suffering that he endured was the greatest suffering imaginable. Why? Why that way? And Jesus did nothing to, to press aside the suffering. He, he willingly suffered. The women came to offer him the narcotic. He would have none of it. He was going to fully embrace 
all of the suffering. And it got me to pondering why. The plan of salvation could have had any form of death. Why death on a cross? And as I pondered that, I began to realize that that he took the sins of the world upon himself and it was there at the cross that sin was judged. Sin was laid onto Jesus and sin was now judged. It was now paid in full. You see, sin always has a consequence. And the consequence of sin always involves suffering. There's physical suffering from sin. There, there is spiritual suffering from sin. There is emotional suffering from sin. You go all the way back to the very first sin, Adam and Eve. They sinned there in the garden. And they experienced now that spiritual manifestation. They suddenly now realize that they were naked, they were ashamed, they, they hide from God. They hide from God emotionally, ashamed and afraid now of God. That intimacy, communion and fellowship when God would walk in the cool of the night with them, they are in the bushes hiding from him. The spiritual, the emotional, the physical, they are cast out of the Garden of Eden. The sweat of your brow, now you are going to have to put bread on the table in, in child form, childbirth pain and sorrow. Sin had entered into the world and the world has never been the same. From Adam and Eve all the way to you and I today, our sin has consequences. And the consequences of our sin always involve suffering. We will always suffer the consequences of our sin. Our, our sin always separates us from God. Our, our sin always causes us to be ashamed uh, of ourselves. The, the, there is the conscience that convicts us now and and we retreat and redraw back from relationships and connection and intimacy and in fellowship there is the the condemnation of the enemy that is uh, upon us we experience suffering for our sins and as sin now was being placed on Jesus, all the, the sins of the world upon Jesus now, the, the, the suffering that Jesus undergoes is the greatest suffering that could be experienced. The time had come for sin to be judged and the sins of the world were judged with maximum suffering. With maximum suffering. Jesus didn't 
take our sins upon himself, and then he was beheaded, and boom, it was over. Experience the separation from the Father, and wham, and it's done, and it's over. No, he suffered as sin was judged there upon that cross. Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says it there, <laughs> the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Behold the, the Lamb of God. But now behold him on the cross. He is the Lamb that was slain for your sins and for my sins. The cross is where sin was judged. Your sin and my sin. And then once my sins are judged, once they are forgiven, I now have peace with God. The separation from God is removed. The veil is torn. Communion and fellowship and restoration of right relationship can take place. But the cross is the place where all sin lands for those who are saved. For every single one of us, our sins landed on that cross. And Jesus bore our sin and the suffering as our sin was judged there upon the cross. Good Friday is a day where, where we behold the Lamb of God on the cross, suffering, paying the price, for my sin, for your sin. It is a day to, to examine our own hearts, a day to thank God for the past sins that we have committed, that, that we have been forgiven from. And it is a time to stand before the cross also and to examine our hearts for any current sins. God, is there anything that is displeasing that is in my life? Are you in first place in my life? When Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and they go to Mount Sinai and Moses receives the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, I am the God that brought you out of a bondage and out of the world. And I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods before me. The very first of all of the commandments. 
was don't put anything before my relationship with you. That's what God said. The first commandment. Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And upon this, all the other commandments rest upon that. Idolatry is when when anything captures our attention and moves into first place in our life. And, and how subtle idolatry is because it is not a turning away from God. It is not a departure from God. It is just an issue of priority. But when our priorities are incorrect, we will drift And there is no telling the distance that we can drift. When God is not in first place in our life. Is God in first place in your life? Is God first place in, in my life? Are there any competing factors in, in my life? Is there, is there any way in which I haven't had the Lord to be first in my life? As we have been dealing with the coronavirus and the epidemic turned now pandemic to where it has shut down and changed the, the world and the way that we are operating right now. And trying to make sense of it. I came across the following and, and thought that I would share it as I have been, been thinking heavily upon it. And this is what I read. In three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. When you go back and study the, the plagues against the Egyptians, every plague was against the, the gods, the false gods that they had bowed down and were worshiping. And God was demonstrating not just releasing the children of Israel from bondage, but also judging all of the false gods the false worship that was going on in these people's lives. And, and it said that in three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away everything we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down the civic centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me? I will make it where you can't go to church. And 
idolatry. The putting of entertainment, the putting of hobbies, the putting of distractions, the pursuit of careers, success, and fame. Above the pursuit of God. Above the most important relationship and the purpose that we were created. Behold the Lamb of God. Crucified. On the cross. Bearing our sins. Upon himself. The cross is the symbol of the greatest suffering imaginable. The cross is the symbol of the greatest suffering imaginable. And yet today for us, it's a symbol of the greatest gift ever given. People wear crosses all the time as a commemoration of what Jesus Christ did, but, but to remember what exactly the cross is, it was the most inhumane form of execution known to man. And yet we see that That Jesus redeemed the cross. It's not looked upon as a guillotine today. It's not looked upon as a firing squad or an electric chair. It's not looked upon as a symbol of death. It is looked upon as a symbol of sacrifice. It's looked upon as a, a symbol of the greatest gift that has ever been given. And I came to realize that Jesus <laughs> redeemed the cross itself. Jesus has redeemed sinful humanity. And Jesus has redeemed you and me. Behold, the Lamb of God. As we move to the communion table, as we gather together now with our families, our loved ones, or just by ourselves there in our homes, uh, communion is a time to stop and, and to recognize the suffering that Jesus Christ bore our sins upon himself, and, and not just upon himself, but then upon the cross. And he paid the penalty for my sin, for your sin. It's a time of, of devotion and thanksgiving for, for the confessed sins, and, and it's a time for examination of of the unconfessed sins, of, of those areas in our lives that, that God is desperately trying to get our attention in, 
trying to redirect our focus. Time to clear the temple. Cleanse it. My house would be a house of prayer. A house of worship. To remove what is unholy, to remove what is profane, or to just simply make a tweak, to make an adjustment, to to properly restore our focus on on the Lord. The cross is the place where Jesus demonstrated his love for you and for me. No greater love has a man than this than he would lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. And Jesus wants you to know how much you're loved. Do this in remembrance of me, the communion table coming with the elements. Remember the sacrifice that that I gave. Remember what it cost me to purchase your freedom, to set you free from sin and death and from the fear of the grave and to place that eternal hope in you. Remember that, that that hope that you have now was was purchased by me because I I love you. I was willing to go to the cross. I don't want you to ever forget how much you're loved. Paul would write, for I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We are all suffering right now. We are suffering the loss of our routines, the freedoms that we once had, the things that we enjoyed. Many people are out of work. Others are suffering the physical illness uh, of the coronavirus. Others are suffering the loss of, of loved ones. Others are suffering the fear of catching the coronavirus. And, and there is a lot of suffering that is happening right now. But what did Paul write? He says the suffering of this present time isn't worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. And Jesus led that way into suffering, but his suffering was for you and for me. That we would have the hope of the eternal glory that waits on the other side of whatever suffering that you and I are going through right now. Jesus understands us because he suffered. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. On that cross, willingly. That we might experience the glory of heaven with him forever. At this time, I would like to invite you to go and to collect the communion elements and and in a time to just reflect right now on his suffering for you. 
And may we just take our sins and may we just reconcile ourselves to God through Christ. May we experience that washing. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But he had to shed his blood that we might be washed by that blood. That on this Good Friday, may we examine our priorities in our life. May we make sure that they are God-honoring, that they are right and good before God. May we enthrone the Lord fresh today with no competition and no competitors. And may we repent, turn away from any sin that has so easily and subtly ensnared us that trips us up. Our flesh is weak. It's easy to become distracted so easy to lose focus. But may the cross refocus our hearts and refocus our lives. I'd like you to take the communion elements and to place them into your hands at this time. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broken. He gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body, the broken body of our Lord that he willingly gave for you and me. Let's partake of the body of Christ. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup. Just worship the Lord together. The nails in your hand, the nail in 
thorns on your brow They tell me how You brought so much shame to love me And when the heavens pass away All your scars still And forever they will say Just how much you love me So I want to say Forever my love Forever my heart Forever my life is yours Forever my love, forever my heart, forever my life is yours. The nails in your hands, the nails in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, they tell me how You brought so much shame to love me And when the heavens pass away All your scars still remain And forever they will say how much you love me So I want to say Forever my love Forever my heart Forever my life is yours Forever my love Forever my heart Wherever my life is yours. Mm. Thank you, Lord, for those nails in your hands, nail in your feet. Lord, we love you. Thank you for rescuing. Thank you for cleansing us, washing us, forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for sealing us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for writing our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And thank you that you are preparing mansions for each and every one of us. Thank you for the incredible display of love that bore maximum suffering to rescue us, to rescue me. And so, Lord, this day, Good Friday, as we are reminded of that great sacrifice, May we connect in a fresh way with the love that 
you have for us. And may we feel it. May we receive it. May we say thank you. Thank you. For all eternity. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.